0: Hey, welcome to Optimize Your Body with Martin Silva, where we talk raw, uncut facts to truly help you optimize your body. Hey, mate. Thanks for uh, letting me come out to your beautiful house here, mate, in Bondi. It's uh, it's a nicer setting than the little dungeon we had the other week, Um, that time when I recorded and didn't manage to actually get it. It didn't record. I had that fault. Remember that? So you know, you know the life of podcasting. Mate. Yeah, it it's happens, it happens. it's a grind. To, it Happens to everyone. It is a grind.
1: Um, I I kind of like doing it out of the gym that day. It was it was yeah. fun. Different one day. Yeah, it was, it, it was different. <laughs> but um, yeah, it feels feels a little little bizarre today because we we are at my place and roles reversed. That's so exactly you're right. you're leading the show. So I'm leading
0: the show, and it's it's t two. So uh, <laughs> we're only going to improve now, anyway. So onwards and upwards. But yeah. So I just wondered, first of all, if you could just give the uh, give the audience an insight into, you know, your story, uh, your background, because you know, I know you're a vegan and you've got your own podcast and uh, follow you on Instagram, keep yourself in shape all year round. So you definitely practice what you preach. So yeah, if you could just share that with us, mate. Yeah, your
1: background. Cool. So I guess if I jump back to my early days, I was born in Australia in Melbourne and then moved over to the states my dad's a doctor and he does research on diabetes so he he had a job transfer to go over there to to work out of a facility um, a center in texas so we moved over there so lived in in america for 8 years and you know i really loved that part of my life i think having that experience of travel really early gave me great confidence and you know just opened up my eyes to a different environment so that when i came back to australia i had some some international experience and sort of knew that the world is is bigger than just australia and you know eating wise and and family wise i think i had a fairly typical upbringing of an australian american type family where you know mum mum did her best to serve us sort of the the staple foods that she thought were totally healthy at the time and you know, like a lot of American families, particularly a lot of junk sort of fast food would creep in and a lot of that was out of convenience. So, you know, all the all the kids' school parties and birthday parties and just weekends after sport, everything sort of was revolving around fast food in America. And then I came back to Australia when I was about 10 years old, sort of continued on with that typical um, diet in terms of, you know, things like enchiladas for dinner or spaghetti bolognese the typical family style eating as I grew up so
0: sounds tasty but yeah it's got it's it's got to end at some point that yeah it has to end
1: (laughs) um and it eventually did sort of catch up to me which I'll get into but when I was 15 years old I was out with my dad and we spent the day together going out to the wineries in in Melbourne there's a a wine area called the Yarra Valley Mm. and on the way home, driving home, he started to get some chest pain and given his medical sort of background, I think he knew what was going on and I was only 15. So he sort of played it down to me and we got home whatnot. And, you know, I think I asked him a couple of times how it was and he was playing it down and saying it was fine. That night I heard him at about, I think it was around 1am, you know, out, He'd, he'd come out of his bedroom and I heard some noise and went out there and he was like struggling pretty hard. So I had to call for emergency. So in Australia, that's triple O. In America, it would have been nine one one. And the UK is nine nine nine. There we go. Yeah. So everyone's got their own emergency number. Yeah. But um, I dialed that and called them and 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 you know told the the lady what was happening. Dad had sort of told me at that stage he thought he was having a heart attack. And yeah, given his background, I think he he knew exactly what was happening, the symptoms and the pain down the arm and whatnot. And yeah, long story short, he ended up getting airlifted. That was sort of how how sort of dire the situation was, and he was airlifted to a hospital. And yeah, he was having um, you know a, a heart attack, a, a relatively mild heart attack, but had it been further down the track, it could have been much worse. So it was it was sort of told to him that he had got onto it relatively early, and. That was that there wasn't a lot of advice for him in terms of diet and nothing changed in the way that our family ate and we sort of continued on I was given you know a little bit of recommendation that I should probably get my heart checked and my health checked and I think I was led to believe that my sort of fate my health fate so to speak was based on my genetics and that you know this has happened to my father I'm I'm going I'm to go down that That track, and I look back now, and I kind of wish that I had been surrounded by people that were like, "Well, you know, you might have, you might not be able to control your genetics, but there is so much of lifestyle that goes into your the fate, your health fate, chronic disease, and you can avoid it, can control your genetics and genetic expression through healthy living." And I wish I had been given some tips. And that's you know what I've gone on to sort of discover myself. And once I got older, I started reading and and learning and listening to other people talk but yeah i finished finished high school and that's when i sort of uh in university that's when i started training and and enjoying training and it was nothing more than just like really just enjoying the the feeling of moving moving weights sweating you know the feeling after you work out you feel satisfied you feel positive and uplifted and it's it's, you know, without it, if you have a day off, you know, you feel like you need it and it's like chasing that feeling of working out and, and the high that you get from it. So I got really caught up in that from an exercise point of view and I, I probably moved my diet accordingly um, to, to definitely an improvement in my diet. So that was when I would have gone away from junk food, so to speak, and moved more towards, you know, chicken, broccoli, more sort of lean style meats and things like that. And and I certainly felt better for it. I had already cut out dairy when I was 17 out of my diet. So I didn't have any dairy at that stage. And I was eating, you know, sweet potato, fair bit of vegetables, not a whole lot of greens and things. And that was the way my diet was
0: for five or six years through my my twenties. Interesting, interesting. Your dog's licking my leg right now, but it's quite nice. It's quite relaxing, you know? It's helping me think. <laughs> nah, um, yeah, that's an interesting story. And uh, what I find quite fascinating is most people, what you find is most people who go vegan generally will do it from a moral standpoint initially yeah, for the animals kind of thing. But what I was going to ask you was, obviously you've done it from a health point of view with your father and whatnot, and obviously you started training and mm. the story you just described then. But did you find it's changed the way you looked, obviously, with the animals and and yeah. you know, the, the, the cruelty involved with eating meat? Did yeah. you find that you kind of, you know, you you started taking that in as well and applying it's
1: a really good question. So I'll answer this in two parts. Firstly, I did definitely at the start, I was purely thinking about health. Mm-hmm. And that was my motivator to to move to a plant-based diet. And I still feel a little squirmish when people call me a vegan. I don't like the label. I just, you know, I just eat a whole food diet that doesn't happen to have animal products. And and I'll get on to the vegan, the vegan word and what that sort of means to me. But when I was going through that stage of research and looking at what was in my control and, and not just saying that, you know, it's out of my control, my genetics, my genetics, I was finding studies from guys like Dr. Esselstein and Dr. Dean Ornish who took people with, Cardiovascular disease and narrowing of their coronary artery and put them on a low fat plant based diet. And they actually saw opening up of the artery. They saw reversal of cardiovascular disease. And I was like, wow, this is pretty crazy that power that food can have. And it takes you back to that old saying that food is medicine. And I, it was resonating with me. I was kind of not wanting to go down the track of living a life where I was going to end up being medicated by pharmaceutical drugs. I'd rather use food. and and change my lifestyle to avoid that. So that was my motivating factor. And then, obviously, once I made the change, I felt great. And when I initially made the change, I didn't just draw a line through the sand Mm. and go, I am going vegan and I'm not going back. That wasn't how it is. Like an experiment, I I guess. Yeah, it was an
0: experiment. Sorry, when was it? I didn't mention it. So around three years
1: ago now. Oh, is that all it was? Yeah. Wow. So I kind of, what I, but... Obviously, I had no dairy in my diet. Yep. So I went through a bit of a stage before that where I went to basically a pescatarian diet without dairy. So mm-hmm. it's pretty much eating a plant based diet with some fish. And, you know, I felt great again. I think health's the spectrum. So you, you can move from A to B, feel better. And then you can move from B to C and feel better again. And yep. it was an experiment to start with. Mm-hmm. I didn't really tell anyone. My girlfriend knew. We were sort of experimenting together. I think it helps if you have someone that Definitely. you can do it with and cook at home and whatnot. And and she was more on board than I was because I was worried. I was like, what if I lose muscle? I had all the typical questions. I'm like, oh, God, how am I going to get my protein? And, and and I was worried. Admittingly, I was, I was worried at the start. And I just never looked back. That I, I started, I changed my diet, and I would go sort of one plant-based meal a day for a week and then the next week I'd do two a day and then I started to get to a point where I was like I don't need the third meal with animal products let's just go and, and I just kept feeling better better and better and when I say I kept feeling better probably the two biggest things I felt was that my recovery was better and in, in my workouts I was I wasn't sore for the amount of time that I previously was sore between workouts so I could get in and work out get more volume over a week and I probably put that down just to having a diet which is now less inflammatory. I was going to say maybe yeah, less, less inflammatory. And 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 I will say I did lose about two two and a half kilos in the first month. And as I think, if I if I go back, my theory on that is that that was a combination of inflammation, mm. but also I don't think I had my food volume right mm. because plant based foods are a lot less calorie dense, and I was almost going like for like on what the volume would look like on the plate. Mm-hmm. So, no doubt my calories had dropped off and I was still training and trying to keep the same intensity. I was feeling less inflamed so I could train harder, but I didn't I wasn't getting the food in, the volume. Yep. So, I think a lot of people that transition to a plant-based or go try and go to a more plant-based diet, they do lose a bit of weight and usually it's from not understanding that animal foods are a lot more calorie dense. So, mm-hmm. you need to if you're going to substitute it, you need to eat more volume. So less inflamed, you know, recovering faster was probably the, the number one thing that I felt. And the second thing, which sort of goes hand in hand with that, was energy mm. and just clarity, get, getting up in the morning, feeling really clear. And whether that's placebo or whether it's less toxins from the type of other foods I was eating, mm. I don't know. But all I know is I was feeling better and I just thought, well, there's no point going back. It's working.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, I'm glad we've done this take two actually now, because I didn't realize it was only three years that, you know, you've been eating a plant based diet. And that's the thing, isn't it? I see what you mean when it comes to, you know, being called a vegan or being labeled like a Crossfitter or, you know, carnivore, whatever it is, bodybuilder, you know, there's all different camps. And that's the thing that I kind of hate really. It's like, why can't we just, the key is to try and find balance, right? And what works for you. And on that note, you know, as you know, there's so many different, individual variances because I've, I've probably trained as a personal trainer probably over a thousand people in my time and I find not many people but there's a few people who have thrived off the vegan diet yeah. of not eating any meat or, or any animal products whatsoever it's few and far in between though but I was going to say when you switched over and you said you started feeling better and you, you generally now you you don't find build a muscle a problem by the look of it either right so yeah. that that's not an issue so you know it's obviously a little bit of a myth in terms of what people say about, you know, you need to have animal products because everyone's different, right? So everyone, everyone adapts in a different way. But where I was coming with that is I'm going off on one of it here now was the studies are showing like that what happens with people who switch over to a plant-based diet, um, certain people, again, everyone's different. Later down the line, they get a nutrient, a buildup of like nutrient deficiencies and stuff later down the line. So it can take years to, years to kind of manifest. So I was going to say, in the meantime now, do you take any supplements and is there any way you bring in like B12 and stuff like that and and whatnot? I know that might not be the case for you, but it happens to a lot of people.
1: I think there's a couple of things that we need to clarify here. Vegan is not synonymous with health. You can have a terrible, really shit vegan diet. Mm -hmm. So I am 1000% confident that the way I eat, I'm not going to get a nutrient deficiency. Mm -hmm. It's just not going to happen. I know my nutrition. I know what I'm eating. And yes, I do take a supplement. I take B12 daily. There was a, a paper out recently that says even people eating animal foods now are getting B12 deficiency. Yeah. Uh, vitamin D deficiency is you know rife throughout the world. Yeah. So I take vitamin. Living in Sydney, I don't really need to take a vitamin D yeah. because we get so much sun sure. here, right? But sometimes through the winter, if there is a period where I'm not really outside much, I might supplement a vitamin D3 yeah. um, or have like a fortified You know, plant-based milk that has vitamin D in it, and I take B12 daily, which is really, really important. Other than that, you can get everything out of a very well-balanced whole food diet. But if you're going to go and eat processed vegan food, yeah, certainly you could be deficient. But you know, I could say the same thing about someone who's eating animal products, but the bulk of their diet's made up of processed, you know chocolate bars and mm-hmm. processed bars, sugars. yeah, refined sugars and stuff. So I think it comes down to taking responsibility of your diet and having a largely whole food diet, whatever that, whatever it is, if it incorporates meat or not, and having an abundance of plants that are really micronutrient rich, yeah, it, it, it is in your control. And if there's studies coming out that showing people uh, are deficient down the track, then I'd be saying that probably not having a very, very balanced diet. And going back to your point earlier about animal ethics and stuff, what we need to remember is not everyone that goes vegan is like me doing it for health reasons. Mm, It's very rare. They might be doing it for ethical reasons, and do you think think the last thing on their mind is their own body?
0: Yeah,
1: they they don't care, right? So, veganism caters for everyone—from the person who wants to eat junk food every day but not not have anything to do with animal cruelty, all the way to someone like me who, you know, obviously. Veganism has opened my eyes up to animal cruelty and I'm, I'm happy now that I'm eating this way. Yep. But it wasn't my initial motivator mm-hmm. and it's not going to it's not going to change in that I'm not going to go to a real junk food vegan diet because I would agree, you eat junk food all the time, then yeah, you probably are setting yourself up for a nutrient deficiency.
0: 100%, yeah. yeah. And that's it. That's the game changer right there. I always try and convey this message to people, you know, if you cut out processed foods, the, the results I've had with people who've managed to wean themselves off, because it, it is a weaning off process. It's just like drugs. The way they uh, engineer 100%. these foods, uh, they're just highly hyperpalatable. And just make you want to eat the hell out of them. Dextrose, sucrose. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Not to mention the vegetable oils, right, which are, you know, contributing massively to and the heart disease epidemic we're facing. And, and you've got to think about it. If, if these are so artificially
1: sweet. Is your brain going to be attracted to that food or the sweetness of a berry? You're gonna, your brain's gonna to start to think berries aren't sweet, Absolutely. so you're gonna be turned off these fruits. Which otherwise, if you would never, if you were never introduced to these processed, refined sugars, mm. you would look at the berries and you'd be salivating. Yes, and these exactly. berries are offering you antioxidants and so much more than what's in the processed food. That's
0: why right, they completely downregulate your, you know, your sensitivity to the taste and stuff. Yes, That's, that makes perfect sense. And I find that myself when I've um, done kind of like I've done like something similar to like a keto kind of way of eating before. Well, I just had, I have quite high fat anyway, but it was mainly just protein and fat. And then when I did introduce berries, for example, it was like this unbelievable, overwhelming feeling, yeah. you know, like just having berries. So it goes to show that your body adapts to eating those type of foods. And yeah, I think it's just, that's that's the main thing really. And I think that is another thing for you as well. I think when you switch over, obviously you're putting so much more goodness and nutrients into your body, then that alone is going to put your body into a yeah. much healthier state. How did you find with the fish? I just wanted to mention the fish real quick. And do you take any omega three or any? Specials? Yeah. So, um, sorry to interrupt them. No, that's fine. So um,
1: omega threes, uh, obviously you can get your long chain omega threes, DHA and EPA from fish, right? From fish oil or from the skin of fish, which is, you know, marketed fairly, fairly widely that that's what fish are a good source of, right? Mm-hmm. But on, on a plant based diet, there's a couple of ways that you can, can get it. And. Whether it's ethical or whether it's that you don't want to consume fish because you're worried about heavy metals, and and there are a lot of toxins now in water, and there's, there's a great movie out now called ocean, Plastic, ocean. Plastic Ocean.
0: Plastic Ocean, that's what and you there's mentioned. just
1: you know it, we look at the big blue ocean and we 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 believe that it has to be clean, but it's not really. It's not the truth. Watch some watch some documentaries. Do some reading. Yes, there are areas of the world where you can get clean fish, and if you were going to eat fish, you would start off with the smaller fish, which are likely to be less contaminated. Mm-hmm. The higher up the food chain in the in the fish world, the more likely they're going to hold those toxins because they're they're eating the smaller fish, eating the smaller like fish, swordfish, tuna, shark, up, right? isn't it? Yeah, it's building yeah. up. Okay, so going back to omega three though, you on a plant based diet, you found in food is only the short chain, which is called ALA, and you we we convert about five to eight percent of that into DHA and EPA. Right now based on what the daily requirement of EPA and DHA is, what that means is in terms of what a vegan would need to consume to be able to get the right amount is about two tablespoons of ground flax and one tablespoon of chia seeds a day. Mm -hmm. So if you're consuming that and you're only converting at 5%, everyone goes, screams about, oh, the vegans only convert at 5%. But what you need to to do is look at the numbers. The numbers are you need to get enough ALA, convert 5% to get the daily requirement of DHA and EPA, that is two tablespoons of flax and one tablespoon of chia seeds. Mm-hmm. It's not that hard. Or two tablespoons of chia seeds. That's it. Or alternatively, like half the world who's taking fish oil, yeah, you can take algae oil. So algae oil. What the fish get their omega threes by eating algae, mm-hmm. right? They eat the algae. The algae is what has the omega threes. That's right. They're now growing algae in conditions where there's no heavy metals. And then they extract the oil and put it into a bottle. And you, I've got some here, and it's in a little tablet. It looks exactly like a fish oil, and that's direct DHA and EPA. So if you're worried, you don't have chia seeds or flax or Brussels sprouts or walnuts, which are loaded with omega mm-hmm. threes. Yeah. Then you just take a an algae oil like the rest of the world taking fish oil. Interesting. There we go. Yeah. Well, that's it. That, that covers that one. <laughs> yeah, I've got nothing to say that. I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> and there's an interesting point on that as well that I will add is that for so long. Fish oil has been touted as this um, this amazing supplement for cardiovascular health. And there was a Cochrane Review, which was only about four or eight weeks ago. You can Google it, Google Cochrane Review Omega-3s. And they're probably one of the most reputable sort of medical journal companies which does reviews and they look at all the literature. And they went out and they looked at all of the literature on Omega-3s and found that there is no association between taking omega-3 fish oil supplements and cardiovascular and reducing cardiovascular disease. Mm. Nothing, right? Yeah. So we, again, it comes back to a lot of things. We're led to believe that through society
0: by a billion
1: dollar industry that's selling fish oil tablets. Mm. So that's
0: it. And if you, if you look at like, if you look at the um, history of humans, right? We will adapt to anything. We're an adaptation machines. That's what I always tell the people. tell people, Yeah, we'll, we'll thrive <laughs> on anything really. So if you look at the Eskimos, for example, that's pretty much all they ate was fish, right? If you look at their teeth and their bone structure, they're super Ooh. healthy humans, right? Um, and it comes down to like the, the whole saturated fat thing as well. I wanted to quickly discuss that. I know you don't, you generally don't use like any oils or or anything like that. Do you like coconut oils and cape it, olive oil? I keep, it on the, on the minimal. I mean, minimal, yeah. Okay. But yeah. So when it comes to the fats and, and, uh, all that kind of stuff, we will adapt to anything, right? So saturated fat, we've been told over the years is the direct link to heart disease and stuff. And there is some studies to show that as well. Obviously, there's so many other factors which come into it, right? So there's lifestyle factors and all these different things, but there's a lot of corruption that's going on as well, right? So if you look at the sugar industry, you know, the multi-billion pound industry, you know, as soon as Kellogg's came on the scene, it kind of went downhill. Uh, the cereals, the breads, all these things, processed foods, again, we're going back to. Uh, that is obviously when the, the inflammatory response we get from having vegetable oils and these refined sugars and whatnot, have a playing a massive part in it. But saturated fat. What they found is like, for example, there was like 11 different countries that they'd done studies on. And I think they had a direct link between heart disease and people over consuming saturated fats. But obviously there's like, there's like 36 different types of saturated fats or something like that. So it was a lot more complex than what we think. The vegetable oils, right? Such as your canola oil, soybean oil, soybean oils and all the kind of stuff that they cook the food with is what generally leads to chronic inflammation and, and, and then later on down the line, maybe heart disease or whatever. But I was just going to say like, they, they. There was two papers within those eleven. There was two countries, like I think it was France and Italy. They eat a lot of saturated fats, you know, cheese, all these kind of things, olives and whatnot. The Mediterranean diet, and they were totally fine. They didn't have these issues. So you don't have a great deal because you have. What, well, what does your breakdown look like? You don't have a great sure. deal of.
1: I think oh, um, some great points in there, and, and obviously the Mediterranean diet is very has has quite a bit of saturated fat, in, oh, yeah. like you said, right? And the Mediterranean diet and the Dash diet, they are great. Sort of diets and 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 if you look at the papers that that where they've compared those diets, they've compared them against the standard American diet. Standard American yeah. diet, it's got a lot of processed food, refined food, heaps of sugars. So of course, the Mediterranean diet is going to stack up and be healthier, mm-hmm. right? I would like in the next few years for them to compare the Mediterranean to a whole food plant based diet mm-hmm. and and see the outcomes there in terms of saturated fat. I think if we go back in time, and it's so confusing. It is so confusing. It is so much information. Right? Um, but if we go back in um, time, there was a time where saturated fats were in, and then they became a bit of the enemy. And what happened was, people, a lot of proponents for saturated fat will say, "Well, once once everything became low fat, chronic disease increased." And you know, it obviously did. The statistics show that when particularly America, changed everything to this whole low fat craze, right? But what they did is they went low fat and just dumped sugar into everything, sugar, right? So I would, I'm not, I'm not a big proponent for adding heaps of sugar or heaps of saturated fats to the diet. I think that unsaturated fats are very, very important. And the going back to the earlier studies that I spoke about with cardiovascular disease, the only study to my knowledge that has ever been done that has reversed cardiovascular disease reversed it. Literally, atherosclerotic plaque built up into an artery, narrowing it, which ends up causing heart disease or stroke, is a low-fat diet, right? A low, a low-fat diet, plant-based, whole food, plant-based diet, no refined sugars, nothing. So not only low-fat, but no refined food, yeah. both of them. So working out what it, which one is the main contributor. These plants which are playing a the yeah, these plants are playing a huge part in that, definitely. But that's the only study that has done that, and why I find that so important is that. They, they now can show that cardiovascular disease can start as early as when you're in the womb. So if your mother has a really, has super high cholesterol, hypercholesterolemia, then you can develop fatty streaks within your arteries even before you're born. They've done, um, autopsies on people, Americans who died in the Korean war, who died from wounds, right? They were shot. And so they were you know, over there in the army, presumably quite healthy. And they did autopsies and looked at their arteries. And these guys were on average 18 to 21 years old and something like 70 to 80% of them already had atherosclerotic plaque building up in their arteries. So it's, for me, cardiovascular disease for a lot of people and, and people our age, it's not about preventing it. It's actually about reversing what could already be there. If you've ha- if you've grown up on a diet with with those sorts of foods in your diet,
0: I see you've got some you've got some work to do then. I mean, you've got need to reverse the damage, and that is a project, right? It's like it's a anything. project. Yeah, it's like you know, um, well, I don't know. This is a bit extreme, but using cancer as, as an example, like a lot of the time, a lot of these things are, are lifestyle related, right? And it's like a you know, like a 10, 15, 20 year project sometimes, right? Yeah. So, to body doesn't
1: the heal itself overnight. Like no. you know, I feel like I've I've made huge improvements in my health over three years, but you know, I'll continue to hopefully. To, to heal my body with every year that goes on mm. and, and making healthy food choices. And whether that's down to not eating any animal products or it's just because I'm not eating refined food and junk, mm. I think, you know, it's, it's really hard to pinpoint in the science. Definitely.
0: And what I will say about vegetables is since I about two, three years ago started eating more and more vegetables, just made it more of a habit and completely a transformative thing for me, really. So now, like, like I said on the last podcast, which I didn't record. Like that's number one, number one for me now. So that's my go-to. The vegetables are the first source of food for me, right? Before I even contemplate, you know, meat or wherever else is coming. And um, let's just look at all the different chemical compounds you find in, for example, we were talking about cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, sprouts, kale, you know, cauliflower, those kind of things. Um, right? So you 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 dropped some good points last time actually about, you know, chopping up the broccoli and yeah. getting the sulfurifame, Brussels sprouts, all those kind of things. So yeah. If you just give us your um, like a heads up yeah. on just how powerful vegetables are, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, they yeah, enough of them. It frustrates yeah. me.
1: <laughs> I think, like what you said, is the Western diet for many years has been um, based around animal protein, and that is like the star of the plate. But I would think that whether you are plant based or or not, if you can make the plants the vegetables or the fruit and vegetables, the star of the plate, you're going to be moving to a much healthier direction and you're going to feel a lot better. And a lot of that comes down to what is in these vegetables and, and fruits and um, they are super, super rich in micronutrients and antioxidants and antioxidants, what, just in layman's terms, what they do is every single day in, in our society, the way that we live and what we're exposed to, carcinogens will enter our body, whether that's through pollution or whether that's through the skincare we use, whether that's through anything like our skins, you know, our largest organ, you know, it's permeable. Carcinogens can enter our body. It could be pesticides, um, things like that. And these antioxidant compounds, which are in abundance in, in fruit and vegetables, they go seek out to combat those unstable carcinogenic molecules in the body. So an unstable molecule in the body, if you leave it alone, it can wreak havoc, and just cutting it, cutting it. A long story short, but it can wreak havoc and cause what they what they call a precancerous cell, which is a cell which has had its DNA a DNA mutation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's a, we we have this all the time, we have it all the time. Everyone has that. We all have that. We yeah. have that in our body as we speak yeah. now. Cancer we have cells, it, right? right? Now, yeah, we have these precancerous. And what it is is. It's your body's ability to stop a precancerous cell from becoming, right, being promoted into a, a, a cancerous cell and eventually a tumour. And, and what the science is showing is actually can combat that is having these phytochemicals, these antioxidants in your body, which can stabilise these unstable molecules. So that's why it's so important to be getting... Uh, you know, I recommend at least two or three servings of berries a day, two or three servings of greens. Like you said, I think the greens are the most powerful, of the vegetables, but that's your dark leafy vegetables like kale and spinach or your cruciferous vegetables like broccoli and broccoli, broccoli sprouts, broccolini. Yeah. Like fo- really focusing on that and and not, not having as much a focus on your animal protein or even if you are plant-based, not having as much focus on your protein sources, but making sure that the plants make up the bulk of it.
0: Mm, absolutely yeah so my go-to vegetables are for example the cruciferous veg all the greens and stuff uh, and then the root vegetables as well so lately i've been having a lot more kind of like a bit, bit more sweet potato carrots parsnips those kind of things and that's helped massively but like I'm really kind of in tune my body mm. so I, I can feel the difference instantly and uh, my digestion's improved a lot since that as well but um do you have any go- like i was gonna say for the average person because yep. I'm always trying to get people to have you know yeah. more more vegetables and- yep like when I start training someone, the first thing will be right. Okay, you're not having any vegetables. Try and have one serving a day and build it up slowly because that's the game changer, the vegetables. How, like for example, Christopher's veg. People listen to this and like, oh man, it's just boring. I find it hard to eat them. Have you got any tips in terms of like adding flavour to vegetables and stuff? Because I just literally steam them and eat them cold and yeah. fine. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a... the average person. <laughs> yeah, so a few little tricks. You
1: can, you could, you could get greens, uh, particularly like your leafy greens, and put them into a smoothie. Mm-hmm. So that when you, com- I, I would start off by combining them. I think flavor combining early on mm-hmm. when your taste buds aren't ready just to munch down on them by themselves, which is the end goal eventually, mm-hmm. will, will sort of help mask the flavor a bit. And it gives your taste buds an introduction and then they can start to develop and acquire, learn learn to to love that taste. So smoothies or like making really healthy sort of dressings that you can put over the top of kale and your spinach and things like that or seasoning. So you know, chili, cumin, these like really strong spices, which will take away some of the sort of plant flavor Mm. early on. But just playing around with some of your favorite recipes. Don't, I think anyone that's transitioning, you don't have to just do a drastic jump. Think about your favorite recipes, whether it's lasagna or, you know, pasta and work out ways where you can incorporate the vegetables into those. Mm. So you have a layer of, or a level of familiarity and it's not like you're just jumping from one extreme to the other mm. in one day.
0: Mm. Awesome, thanks. Yeah, I just listened to your recent podcast with Emily Hazel, and that was really good. The Serotonin, uh, the one who owns the Serotonin restaurant or cafe, yeah. really interesting. She was saying about literally about ten percent of the world in what was it? I think it was like a couple of years' time. Will an, an extra ten percent of the world will be vegan? Basically, uh, people are switching over faster and faster to a plant-based diet, which is which is yeah. great. Really, uh, it, you know, it, it could be good and bad, depending on what you know. If they're still eating processed foods and whatnot. But what are your thoughts on like, for example, red meat, right? So um, red meat obviously is one of the most nutrient dense foods on the planet, really. If you look at gram for gram, the amount of nutrients you find within red meat. And there was a documentary called What the Health on on Netflix, which uh, demonized everything animal based, really, which, you know, so there was some truth in it and what they were saying, but then I think they blew some of it out of proportion, you know, when they were comparing kind of like fish to having five cigarettes and stuff, just a bit, bit crazy some of it. But- Red meat, I have a couple of times a week, personally, and once again, I, I'm in tune with my body, and um, it does definitely do something for my energy and my well-being having red meat. But what are your thoughts on that? Because obviously, you you don't have any, and you know, for example, there's there's myelin, which you find in red meat. That's one of the many compounds in there which um, converts into serotonin. But obviously, there's lots of other ways to, to to get serotonin in the brain. But that's a specific type of iron, um, which you can't really get out of a plant-based diet. But yeah, so what are your thoughts on, like, red meat in general and and the nutrients and if you should or shouldn't eat it? Silly
1: question. Yeah, no, no. Well, well, what what the health, firstly, I think – yeah, it does have some great points and it obviously has some very exaggerated points. I think it was actually eggs and and cigarettes where they were flipping in the pan or whatnot. Oh, okay, yeah. But I think, you know, we spoke about this last time. I think if they didn't have the level of exaggeration that they have in small parts of the documentary, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be being spoken about so widely. It wouldn't be spoken spoken about right now on this podcast. So I think the directors of What the Health very strategically put in slightly exaggerated parts or... Um, analogies that they knew would go viral. So it was just more of a marketing strategy. In terms of red meat itself, we need to really clearly define what, what red meat is. It's a very broad term. Processed red meat to the World Health Organization, they classify those as causing cancer, right? Even though they're still sold at worse and service stations. So those are all your very highly processed salamis and um, things like that. Mm-hmm. And then any red meat they classify, so other red meat they classify as not known to cause cancer, but probably, right? And there there is some strong science to show, which I can share or send the links yeah, around man. red meat consumption and particularly stomach cancer. But <laughs> I think we need to put everything into perspective. And I sort of understand that not everyone is going to, to go vegan or plant-based overnight or ever at all. And like we're discussing um just before if, if you're currently having red meat 7 days a week and hardly any veg and you change that and you have red meat twice a week and lots of veg well you're going to be a lot healthier and you're going to move you know your body's going to feel a lot better and um, ultimately i tell people to do them you do you do you and how far you want to take it is completely up to you i think that you can get an abundance of nutrients without eating red meat but I don't judge anyone that still eats it. I used to eat it. My my Some members of my family still eat it and that's completely their choice and um, not something that I would ever judge anyone on. So I think it comes down to a personal decision. One of the other things there is that it is, we've, we've spoken about meat being very calorie dense and obviously it does does hold a lot of nutritional value. So with the sort of disease things and, and whatnot, if we push those to the side, there are areas of the world Where they may not have access to a lot of great quality plants and, and whatnot. And, and without eating meat, they might develop deficiencies, Mm -hmm. right? So you've, you know, everything has to be looked at in perspective and and looked at in geographical and in a personal situation. Mm -hmm. Because if someone can't go out and, 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 you know, live a sort of healthy plant based diet like myself and can't get access to those foods, then. You know, I would completely understand why they would be eating meat because I don't want anyone to have a deficiency, whether they're a, you know whatever diet they have. So I think we just put everything into perspective. I think that the science is leaning towards meat consumption, particularly overconsumption, being an issue in our society. As a, as I've said before, it's very very hard to pinpoint whether that's because people are not eating enough vegetables at all, and and that if they add the vegetables then having meat. You know, a few times a week is fine. It's hard for science to
0: show that it is, isn't it? It's so um, hard for, for from the pinpoint any of this, right? Yeah. Because anything you abuse, right, it could be anything. Yeah. Even I guess you could. It'd be very hard to, but even vegetables, you could have too yeah. much of, right? But that's probably the Correct. last thing you could have too much. of. Yeah. Anything you. I think. I think though, there.
1: If, if I if I add to that, I think we also need to look at I guess a bit of the macronutrient breakdown. So like the longest living populations in the world, they're not they're not eating a really high protein diet you know, these blue zone areas where, you know, they're, they're not all vegans. Some are in some zones, but most of them are sort of 90, 95%. They, they're still having some meat or fish or a little bit of cheese in some of these areas, but they don't have a high protein diet. And, you know, I I think particularly for like yourself and I, and, and I have a higher protein vegan diet than a lot of people, right? I think as a society, we think we need more protein than we do it there's a, a going to be an ongoing battle between getting gym gains and and um, developing muscle and strength versus longevity mm. and it's something that I'm still trying to battle with in my mind because sure. you obviously need a certain amount of protein to get results in the gym but I genuinely think there's enough science showing that having too high protein is is not not the best way of going about longevity so it's something you know as I sort of get into my 40s and 50s, I'll probably look at it a little closer mm. in terms of dropping it back a bit. And then there's actually some interesting science showing that once you're 60, 65 plus, mm. you should actually increase your protein again. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, yeah.
0: Receptors and receptors yeah, and whatnot.
1: Things change, yeah. and it's actually a positive in your in your sort of last two or three decades to have a higher protein because it keeps people more mobile, yeah. keeps them stronger, um, recovery and stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. so. You know, that's something, I don't think all the answers are out there, but it's a long answer to your question about meat. But I'd say the take-home tips are for people just to eat more plants. Probably don't, if, unless you're a bodybuilder or doing extreme sport, you don't probably need as much protein as you think you do. Mm. And if you focus on plants and be doing better by your body, in my opinion.
0: Mm. And on that note, what are the best, most effective foods as a plant-based eater? for protein and for amino acids and whatnot, because I know quinoa, yeah. that kind of is yeah. good, but um, how do you manage?
1: <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, my protein, I probably, I probably get around about 1.7 to, uh, 1.5 to 1.8 grams of protein per kilo. Per kilo, yeah. Right, for me. And that is, I know, uh, you know, across the plant-based world, there'd be doctors and there'd be other people out there that would, that would say that's too high and... You know, as I said before, I was probably something that I will drop down mm. with, but I am doing a fair bit of exercise and and strength training, so I feel like my body's utilizing it. Mm. But I'm aware that it could be potentially working against me in terms of longevity. And I think just generally, if we look at if we look at bodybuilding and putting on a ton of size and whatnot, and you know, even NFL players, like the the the, the their length of life is nowhere near as long as someone who has you know, like a lower BMI, thin and and agile and stays mobile. So I think we know that and it makes sense. So it's just sort of working out how it fits in with your lifestyle. But if we go back to the food, so the main sort of high-protein stuff is your legumes. So, well, you know, lentils, oil, beans, peas, things like that. And then um, nuts and seeds provide a lot of protein as well. Then you're getting sort of incidental, I guess, protein in your oats, not oats, unrefined grains, which includes oats. So like oats, you'll get eight or nine. I'll get eight or nine grams out of my oats, eight or nine grams of protein out of my oats in the morning on top of everything else that I put in there. So my breakfast will typically have sort of 40 grams of protein in it. Um, and yeah, you're getting incidental protein in, in all of your, all of your vegetables and stuff, even though you would never associate vegetables with having protein. They do have little bits of protein here and there. But I, I have no issue getting to sort of, you know, 150, 160 grams of protein. Mm-hmm. I eat a lot of tofu, yeah. a lot of tempeh. Well,
0: what's your thoughts on those kind of products, actually, the soy based products? Because yeah. um, I've heard like those kind of things are not ideal. Yeah. Is the genetically modified thing, is that, is that true? Oh.
1: Well, so firstly, it's a great question. Well, maybe this brings us back to red meat. So 90% of genetically modified soy is fed, fed to the beef. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, me about that. so, so, you know, that means that there's so much beef being consumed across the world, which has been grown eating genetically modified soy. Hmm. I myself would never put genetically modified soy into my body yeah. because what genetically modified soy, what it means is that it becomes, they, they modify the genes So it becomes resistant to you know, Mutation. to, yeah, mutations, and it essentially, like, they, it becomes resistant to uh, Roundup, mm. right? Yeah, which is the... So glyphosate. Glyphosate, yeah, which is the... Yeah. So, what it means is that if you're eating this genetically modified crops, which are resistant to glyphosate, that you're, you're also getting glyphosate into your system. Mm. And, you know, <laughs> Monsanto will tell you that glyphosate is perfectly safe, but... There's a place called Cancer Alley in America where glyphosate runs into the river and it's like the highest incidence of cancer. There's, you give mice glyphosate and they die. Yeah, wipes Uh, out the
0: gut flora, doesn't it, big time as well? So, you know,
1: it's playing, we're still, you got to remember, we're still playing around with how our gut flora works. So, how Monsanto can tell you that it's safe when we don't even fully understand our our, our guts Mm. is beyond me. And like, there's an increase in, uh, leaky gut and ibs and all this sort of stuff and we need to go back and look at what's changed and i think genetically modified crops could could well be a part of that mm. but yeah so going back tofu you i've never seen a non-organic tofu on the shelf here yeah. every bit of tofu that i buy is organic yeah. so it hasn't been genetically modified it says on the front non-gmo which has like the label organic and then tempeh i i tend to eat sort of chickpea tempeh, edzuki bean tempeh, things like that. I do, I've got no problem with soy because the science that is on soy, which looks at the phytoestrogens, there's more estrogen in meat than there is in soy because in in soy, there's not estrogen, there's phytoestrogens. And the science shows there was one paper which has gone viral and go back to agendas and people pushing them and different industries pushing them. And this one got pushed really, really strongly. But, it was a, it was like a single subject science paper, so they had one person and they gave him seventeen serves of soy a day. Well, we will go back to what we said before about balance. Like eating anything in excess can cause issues in the body, right? Absolutely. And they gave him seventeen serves of soy, and he div- he had some estrogen type issues, right? Now I would never eat seventeen serves oh, of soy. No, that's either. the thing. It's so drastic. Ever. Ever, i would never eat 17 servings of any food in a day, in the like week. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I mean, the, the thing is, as soon as they took him off that, all, his entire body went back to normal.
0: So, studies are just messed up. Yeah, that,
1: that was just like a terrible study for me, but it got got a, got a lot of publicity. And now, you know, I even if I post about soy, it's it's sort of demonized and people jump on. And and the the, the sad thing is, a lot of that is from Chinese whispers. So like. One person will tell their mate, oh, soy is terrible. It gives you man boobs. And it just gains traction and traction and traction. And it gains so much traction until everyone believes it, but they've forgotten about what the source was. Yeah,
0: exactly. Right. So
1: I've done posts and I've gone back to the soy, source, the sources. The, the, the fascinating thing is that there are strong studies showing that people who have breast cancer or prostate cancer can significantly benefit by taking, having, eating soy and putting it in their diet. Brilliant. And yeah, it's it's quite fascinating. It's because those phytoestrogens compete with estrogen on the receptor sites, yeah, yeah, and high estrogen is related to those. Yeah, diseases. we need a certain amount of them, don't we? So yeah, we need a certain amount. But what it does is by competing for it, it, it diminishes the effect that estrogen can have. I see. see. Um. So yeah, there's, there's I've done posts on it. It's it's really confusing for the everyday person who's like doesn't want to or, or doesn't have the resources to do that research and to to, to read the studies. So. I can understand why a lot of people are scared of soy, but I've done the research and I don't think there's anything to be concerned about it unless, there's one disclaimer here, unless you have iodine deficiency or a hypothyroidism. So if you have that, then I would say make sure you're on top of that and have corrected that before you add soy to your diet.
0: And dulce leaf, I, I tend to have that. Is it dulcine leaf, the seaweed? Dulce, yeah. Dulcine, yeah. So I have that as well. I saw that on your story yeah, but yeah. that's great for iodine deficiencies as well, right? It's, it's great. Let's yeah. go back to the seaweed again, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so... Yeah. That's that's seaweed-based dulse or or nori or wakame. Uh, really good, rich in iodine. You can you can actually trick is I put them into the salt uh, the pepper shaker mm. and every time you're putting pepper on your food. It tastes amazing. Yeah, it tastes great. So it's like it's nice, sort of salty sort of sea taste. And the other thing is um, potatoes are loaded in
0: iodine as well. Mm. And iodine is another one where there's a, a quite a common deficiency now, isn't it? It's becoming more and more mainstream. But yeah. yeah, I was just gonna say about yeah, about the meat as well, obviously. The animals feed off the grains, which are contaminated with all sorts of things nowadays. But obviously, if you can get, if you do eat meat, like myself, I tend to get grass-fed. But yeah. even that doesn't quite cover it. Now they're saying, you know, it needs to be grass-finished as well. So there's just all these different um, uh, factors which come into it. I was just going to say about the uh, estrogens then as well. So soy, I think, is it's is second in line to plastics, right, in terms of tampering with oestrogen levels. Now with plastics, it's xenoestrogens, right? So I was going to ask your thoughts on that because um, I'm hearing more and more about it. Mm. And nowadays, I'm really trying my best to avoid uh, drinking out of any plastic I,
1: bottles. I would never cost. recommend drinking out of a plastic bottle for that reason. Um, so People I, laugh at me when I tell them. Man, no, I was talking with a, a hormonal expert down in Melbourne not long ago, and she was pretty adamant that she sees a lot of guys that come in and they're sort of 30 to 50 years old. And you can probably picture this. You know the guy that has like the, the tire of fat around his stomach? Mm-hmm. And he just, dominant. but yeah, he's estrogen dominant. Yeah, yeah, but exactly. Whatever he, and estrogen, there can be a lot of things, stress, not enough sleep, exactly. the food that you're eating, you're drinking out of plastic. There's all of these things that are playing on, on that. And these guys come in and they just try so hard to lose weight and they just can't lose the tire. You know, she was saying some really fascinating things about estrogen and these guys being estrogen dominant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Drinking out of plastic. She was fairly adamant that just mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a, it's a big, big no-no.
0: It's crazy how much, I can't remember what it was. I heard to a podcast myself and it was something like, I don't know whether it was like 10 times the amount or something like that from having like a one drink of a plastic bottle. It literally has a massive effect on the Eastern levels, not even a small amount. So just to be, oh, you get like I heard you say on another podcast earlier, just the compound effect. And you know, if you think about over time, if you're continuously doing it, you've got to be aware of it, right?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there's enough options now to to buy, you know, like a thermos type reusable water. Better for the environment in that, you know, a lot of plastic bottles don't end up being recycled, mm. end up in landfill. They, the plastic is on this earth for longer than we are. Mm. You know, I used to think out of sight, out of mind, I put it in the bin and it's gone. But unfortunately, that's not what's happening with plastic. So, whilst it's hard to live a no plastic life, I think it's really inc- incredibly hard for anyone to do that in this day and age. It's, it's good to be mindful of it. And not only is it going to help the planet, but like we're talking about now, it's going to help your health. The, Second thing is I just, you know, even worse than just a plastic bottle that you buy straight away is a plastic bottle that's been sitting in your car and got hot. Mm-hmm. And when it heats up and the plastic leaching into the water, like that's the worst, that's the worst way you can drink water out of a plastic bottle.
0: <laughs> yeah. See, I just find it hard because um, I need to get myself a good quality filter. So you've got that filter behind this right? So generally do you just use like a filter? Yeah. I don't, I don't,
1: I don't work for that brand or know anything no, about it.
0: Yeah, no, I was just but, Um,
1: that that one there's called a Zazin, which my brother got me onto. It's it's really, really good. It's got like a thirteen like way filter in there and I we usually fill it up every night and by awesome. the end of the day it's empty. We just put that into like our thermos water bottles. You know.
0: Pretty, thermos pretty which pretty is like black, like a, glass too. No.
1: Yeah, just those um sort of eco-friendly water bottles that you see everywhere now. Awesome. The ones that can keep hot, hot or cold, cold. Yeah. Um so yeah, we, both my girlfriend and I, we, we tend to use those pretty much every day where we can, unless you're sort of really stuck and you don't have it. Yeah, it's, it's a nice habit to get into.
0: Cool. Yeah. If I was going to say, if you could send me over the uh, link for that filter, mate, because i got to, i got to step that up. I've been having a bit of tap and stuff like that. i got to stop. Yeah. I'm slipping, mate. No, but I'm always going to move on to something else now, mental health. Yeah. So we're currently facing, well, we're the sickest we've ever been on a global scale now in more than one way, right? Mental health, physical health. We're basically falling apart in a sense, right? You know, if you look at it on a global scale, there's an epidemic now of mental illness, and I think it's one in five Australians uh, experience depression or anxiety or something along those lines at some point in their life. What do you do, side To um, is there anything other than obviously eating well, training, uh, sleeping well? Anything else you do? Any rituals or meditation? Anything like that you do to look after your mind?
1: I think I've always just had a very simple approach to being happy, and it started with. You know, at an early age, I've always been really comfortable in my own skin and confident with, with how I can go about my work and confident how I can interact with people socially. And I think you need to be really, you need to have a high level of self awareness, be really comfortable in your own skin and, and happy with who you are. And once you are in that position, you can be in a really positive mindset and you can serve other people. And you can help other people, and it's really hard to be able to serve other people until you have developed that sort of inner love for yourself and what you're doing. So I think it, it it really comes back to getting to know yourself better. And you know, for me, from an early age, I think I I was thinking about that, and I did a lot of travel and things like that, which I think helped helped shape me personally. But I have a mentality where I will. In everything that I see and everything that I do, I look at a, a glass half full. So rather than, you know, it might be a really shit situation, but rather than just focusing in on all the negative aspects, I will look for the positive aspects. And yeah, you're going to do- you have to deal with some negative things, but my bigger picture is always about looking at positive things because if I'm negative, I know that all of my interactions with people around me are going to be negative. I know that my just general aura is going to be negative and it's going to take me longer to overcome something that bad that happens in my life if I'm in, in a negative mindset. Mm. And also when you're in a negative mindset, your less opportunities are going to open up for you. So I'm aware of all of this and I think I can consciously now s- sit into a situation or sit into a conversation. I can sort of sit behind my thoughts <laughs> and i can read what's happening in that situation before i talk so i think it, i think it's been a maturity thing over the last decade where i've really worked on developing quite a, a resilient mind and looking at things in a positive light pretty much every, every with everything that i do mm.
0: so it sounds like relationships are very important then yeah so that human connection yeah. it sounds or like you value that high you
1: you know we go back to these populations that are
0: thriving and it's not just their nutrition
1: they develop strong interaction strong connections with people around them they know how to relate to people we've got a lot of increase in mental health and we've also got a lot of people sitting on their phones all day and they're losing these these skills of connecting real real connection right and it can become lonely working through a phone or a computer and not having prop humans humans have no doubt you know evolved to have personal connection it's it's what enriches people's lives and, it's just human, isn't it? yeah and 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 to, it's foolish to think that you can get that level of deep enrichment through social media through a like on your photo through um share of your photo through you know getting more likes on this image compared to your last image or comparing yourself to someone else it's it's uh, i don't want to say it's sad but you know i'd like to see a bit of a switch in sort of perspective of how important social media is and and seeing people really value personal time with their friends and family a bit more, particularly the younger generations coming through, because I fear that they're sitting on social media and they're comparing themselves to other people. Right. And what that's doing is through these years of when they're 16, 17, 18, 19, and they should be thinking about themselves and growing as a person, they're just constantly comparing themselves to someone else. Absolutely. absolutely. And right when you're not when you're comparing yourself to someone else, you're not really running your own race when you know, I, th- I think I look back and I was always comparing myself to myself mm. to get better and to grow. Mm. And yeah, I just think, you know, I-, I personally think something needs to change. I know that when I bring kids into the world that, you know, they need to be able to use social media and whatnot, but I'd like to hope that I can steer them in the right direction to still value the real world.
0: Absolutely, mate. Because it's an addiction, just like any drug, really. Like people need to look at it that way. And there's a really interesting book I'm listening to now called iGen. You should definitely check that out, mate. And it's actually blown my mind because um, there's a direct correlation between social media usage and depression, suicide. Now, suicide rates are the highest they've ever been. And um, I think since like 2007 to about 2015, I think about 60 odd, I think it was 60% more suicides. And they're, they're doing studies and they're finding that people are obviously young, the younger generation who were born after about 1995. It's just the norm now. For example, mm-hmm. even when they're like, you know, they go on the, the dating process, mm-hmm. about a third or half of that is done via texting and social media. So those interactions, you're just dying and people mm-hmm. are, you know, slowly mentally breaking down because of that. So you've got to be aware of that, right? That was some great points you made there, mate. Thanks for that. Is there anything else you wanted to say on that and the, uh, the mental health stuff? No, I think, I, like? I
1: think we covered it. We covered it pretty well. Obviously, if anyone is... Is listening, and you know, needs to speak to someone. There are there are lots of services out there where they can reach out to, like Lifeline, and yeah, it's better to definitely better to speak up and talk about it. I've 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 had a good friend who committed suicide about four years ago, and he that was that was very silent, so he didn't speak to anyone. So yeah, my advice would be that. So there's always someone there to listen, and you know, if you're not in that position, but you're using social media a lot, I would encourage you to look at ways of developing real richness in your life through actually connecting with friends offline, in person, because you're going to feel a lot more valued in your life when you have proper relationships and not just relationships
0: on social media. Absolutely. It ain't weak to speak because uh, I've done a podcast with uh, Live in Org. So check them out as well. It's another really good uh, mental awareness yeah. group, Live in Org, just L-I-V-I-N-O-R-G. So yeah, you got to you got to speak up if that's the if that's the case. But um, I've had Sammy on the show as well. Oh, you've had Sammy? Oh yeah, yeah I remember? He's a good yeah. guy, isn't he? He's a great guy. So yeah, so check out I Living. That, yeah. Check out Living guys. Yeah, yeah. Living Org. Yeah, that pretty much covers Everything, mate. I just wanted to um, ask one or two more questions quickly. Business might as well discuss that now, being as you've had some success in that realm. Have you got any tips for people who are you know trying to build a business? Like I'm trying to delve deeper into the online stuff now and build a bit a bit, bit of a business of my own um you've been very successful you know obviously you had the tea company which you founded uh, i think it was about 10 years ago yeah any tips or any uh, advice for people yeah i'd say don't don't look for shortcuts and don't i get a lot of messages and, and and
1: you know from from people who are sort of looking for a bit of a shortcut and i just think that there is no real shortcut i remember when i started yeah i read books and and listened to people and stuff but i did the work and you know, I put a lot of hard yards in to work on my craft and, and understand e-commerce and and strive to be the best that I could be in terms of e-commerce. And yeah, we had a lot of success with our, with our brands. We're still having a lot of success. And I, I think even more so now, it's super important to be authentic, to be genuine, to build a community on those two things, authenticity, genuine, and having a great service and a great product of course you need to have those but you need to be genuine you need to be authentic there's so many brands out there there's so many services you know there's new ones popping up every single week so if you're going to stand out from the pack you need to you need to understand that you need to build a tribe of loyal customers who feel part of a community who feel valued and that's a different strategy depending on what your brand is and who you're connecting with right who what your service is what your product is will determine who your demographic is. And once you know who your demographic is, you can start to think about, well, what conversations do I want to have with them? And where is that going to be? Is it going to be on Instagram? Is it going to be on Facebook? Is it going to be through a blog? Is it going to be through an email newsletter? What are they going to like best? Is it going to be a private Facebook group? Because it's a sensitive issue and I want to create a a nice private intimate space for them. Thinking about the conversations, you know, doing big mood boards and, and just breaking that down. it's it's for me i find that super exciting because it brings in a whole sort of psychology component to working out and breaking down your consumer breaking breaking them down to all the way down to what their values and their beliefs are and this then starts to shape your brand because you're going to serve them you're you're going to add value to their life and it, it requires a lot of deep thinking a lot of strategizing but a Above all of that, you just need to be genuine with your approach, and you you need to be always thinking I'm adding value to their life. It's not about the brand, it's not about the profit. If you're thinking about the profit and you're thinking about the brand and you're thinking about selling it to someone one day and this and that, you're not doing the best by in terms of growth, right? So you think you are doing the best, but you're focusing on the wrong thing. You focus on the consumer, serving them. Everything else will will take care of itself.
0: Amazing, mate. That was awesome. Yeah. Last but not least, do you have any tips for anyone who, because a lot of people listen to this, uh, focus on health and looking good, right? So, do you have any tips for someone who wants to build a good-looking body, but create sustainable health at the same time?
1: Yep. Okay. So you you probably might even if you trained every day for an hour, that's you know seven seven hours a week in the gym, and that's where you're going to break down muscle, and all of your hours outside of the gym is where you're going to build it and repair it. So clearly, you can see how important the after gym, the outside of gym component is, which is nutrition, which is rest, making sure you're getting adequate rest. Going back to we were talking about, you know, the estrogen and dominant people. So making sure that you're not too stressed. People think that their gym gains are just based on doing the deadlift. Getting the the PB, but there's so much more than that outside of the gym, your food, your stress, your sleep, your relationships, your positivity. These are things that are going to create a sustainable plan for you. Because if you're going to the gym, coming home, feeling super stressed, not eating the right food, sleeping really poorly, that's not something that you're going to sustain. You're going to, you're going to not, A, not get the results. You're going to be feel like crap and you're just going to drop off. So. Don't just think going down and signing up to the gym is the be all and end all. You need to have a plan in and out of the gym and you'll get the best results for you. You don't need to compare yourself to people on Instagram. That's not you. Yes, you can look at them for inspiration, but don't get caught up in the daily minutiae of comparing yourself to someone else because you're just setting yourself up for failure. You're setting yourself up to to not feel great, particularly if you're comparing yourself to someone who's only uploading their highlight reel and is a professional athlete or a professional bodybuilder who's spending so much more time than you are. You're going to work, you're working nine to five, you've got kids, whatever, like you're a different person. So compare yourself to you, celebrate the mini wins, create a sustainable plan inside and outside of the gym and enjoy it. Whatever plan you create, create it to enjoy it because
0: you'll adhere to it and you'll get better results. Thanks, man. So you can go and find this plethora of knowledge, Simon Hill over at Plant Proof. It's at plant underscore proof, right? On Instagram. Yes. Yeah. At Plant underscore proof. Yep. And the podcast is plant proof, right? That's right. There we are. So go check Simon out. His podcast is awesome. It's uh it's actually up there in the top five now. So you're doing really well with that. And there's some great content in there. So go check that out. And whilst you're at it, if you can give me a rating and review, Optimize Your Body podcast. If you listen to this and you enjoy it, please give me a rating and review on iTunes. Be massively appreciated. And thank you very much, Cy, for letting me use your equipment come to your house and give me another chance to uh, get this right mate. No, uh thank you mate. Really happy to be on the show and you know of course
1: as we've spoken about Martin will will jump over onto the plant proof podcast in the near future and we'll be doing a dedicated episode on just how you could potentially tailor your your gym program and your nutrition if you are looking at a plant-based diet and getting the most out of it. So we'll have a lot of specifics on that. Martin is super super jacked and uh, incredibly, incredibly good at what he does in terms of training and nutrition. So no doubt we'll be able to discuss, you know, a little bit more about that and and you can go away with that and implement a few things to get the most out of your, your training.
0: Amazing. So stay tuned for that people. I'm really excited for it. Thanks, mate. Cheers.